Returning uh, this evening in the scripture uh, to the Gospel of Mark. So if you please turn with me there, Mark uh, chapter 1. We'll be reading verses 1 uh, through 8. Mark chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 8. And we're just going to be focusing on that first verse uh, this evening. Um, I'm trying, uh, these, these are actually my third string glasses, so I will not be wearing them tonight. I've been trying them, uh, but uh, clearly I've misplaced my other two. And so uh, clearly those from several years ago are not going to do the job. So I can't quite see you well, uh, but, uh, but I can see my notes and, um, and we can all hear. So that's, that's the most important thing. So we're going to be reading from uh, the Gospel according to Mark, uh, verses 1 uh, through 8. And this is the ever-living uh, and abiding uh, word of God. Mark chapter 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that we can have this uh, glorious opportunity again this night to come before you, to know your presence, to sing your praises, but Lord, especially also Uh, to hear you speak to us uh, through the gospel of your Son. And so we thank you, Lord, for this time tonight. Lord, we pray that you would meet with us, work within us uh, for your glory uh, and for our good. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, way back uh, many, many years ago in the uh, 5th century uh, before Christ, so around 450 uh, B.C., uh, a book appeared... Uh, by uh, a man, a, a kind of book that had never appeared really in the history of man before in 450 B.C. And it began this way. Here are presented the results of the inquiry carried out by Herodotus of Halicarnassus. The purpose is to prevent the traces of human events from being erased by time and to preserve the fame of the important and remarkable achievements produced by both Greeks and non-Greeks. It was called uh, the histories. Uh, Herodotus is called the father of of history. So if you've ever read a history book, um, we're told that uh, Herodotus was really uh, really the father of history. Before that, you had chronicling, you had record-keeping, but you didn't really have the writing of uh, history. And the word inquiry that I just read there is the Greek word historia. And so he was the first writer of a history, first of its kind. Now, in a similar way, to take up a a gospel, 
and to read it, uh, is to take up a new kind of book in the first century. Now, of course, we have four of them, and we're going to be focusing on the gospel according to, uh, to Mark, but uh, it's a completely, you have to remember, and we have to remember, a completely new kind of book when it arrives on the scene in the first century. Biography, we will learn about the person of Jesus, yes, uh, but, it's, uh, but it's more. Many books have been written of the lives of great men and great women, or you might read a memoir of somebody giving a record of their lives, history to be learned from, uh, you know, examples to be patterned after, maybe bad examples to be avoided, good examples to be followed. So many in, uh, in our secular world, when they think about uh, history or biography, they think about a, a fellow named Plutarch who wrote Plutarch's Lives, uh, where he would compare uh, a Greek and a Roman for chapter after chapter, comparing uh, Alexander the Great, for instance, and Julius Caesar or something like that, and, and uh, saying, well, here's some good things uh, to imitate, here's some bad things to avoid. That was written in the second century after Christ. And so we're used to, we're used to those kind of biographies and such, but the book of Mark uh, is, is more. Because as you're going to find out, after all, uh, there is nothing uh, of the birth of Jesus. In fact, in fact, Jesus comes on the scene in the Gospel of Mark 30 years old, as far as we can tell. So it's not a full life by any means. It's a different kind of book because we're going to find out that it's a book that is meant to uh, persuade its hearers and readers about Jesus. That he is the Christ, uh, the Son uh, of God. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ the Son of God. And so it's more than biography. It's not for biographies of Jesus, but the Gospel is in many ways a, uh, a proclamation, really. It's trying to persuade us. Jesus himself will point to this purpose of this Gospel book in Mark eight twenty seven when he uh, says to the disciples, uh, Who do the crowds say uh, I am? Near the end of Mark, uh, the high priest will ask of Jesus, Are you the Christ, the Son of uh, of the blessing. So that's just the first thing. This is no ordinary book, no ordinary biography. This book is a call to believe. We must never read the Bible. We must never read the Gospels as a biography simply or a history simply or geography simply. Uh, when we read this book, uh, remember, this is a, a call to us uh, to believe and to answer, of course, that, that question of Jesus. Who do you say I am? Who do you really believe uh, Jesus is? But first, who is, who is speaking to us in the Gospel according to Mark? Who is this human author who holds the pen? We know uh, from our prior look at 2 Timothy 3 that all Scripture is God-breathed. Uh, men wrote as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Nonetheless, it was men who wrote. God used men to write his words. And so it's good for us to ask, who is this man? Well, you say it's the gospel according to Mark. Can't you read? Um, yes, that's what it says. Now, actually, if you read through and as you, we read through the gospel of Mark, uh, you're going to find out the book actually uh, is written anonymously. Nowhere in this book uh, will we be told, uh, I, Mark, uh, write these things. But the unbroken early tradition of the church, at least back to the second century, uh, is that it was written by John Mark. 
who is mentioned uh, in the book of Acts. And so there's early uh, churchmen, early church fathers like Papias and Clement of Alexandria and Irenaeus. I'm not going to bore you with their quotes. Uh, but they all mentioned that uh, Mark uh, wrote uh, as one who really was the interpreter of the Apostle Peter. Uh, that uh, Peter preached, uh, Peter spoke of Jesus, uh, and uh, Mark recorded really his his words. That's the uh, that's the unbroken tradition, really, of, of the church. But we find him in the Bible. And so hopefully you have your Bible open. Uh, so turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 12, because this is important for us as we, uh, as we study this book together to think about who was this man uh, who brings this word of the gospel to us. So in Acts chapter 12, you'll remember the Apostle Peter uh, is in prison. Uh, the Lord, by his uh, angel, leads Peter out of prison in Acts chapter uh, 12, uh, and then we uh, and then we read when then when we read this uh, verse 11 of chapter 12 of Acts. When Peter came to himself uh, after the angel had brought him out of prison, uh, now I'm sure he says that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, uh, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, uh, whose other name was uh, Mark where many were gathered together uh, and were praying. Later in verse 25, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, uh, whose other name was Mark. First time we read of Mark is here in Acts chapter 12, and he's, he's at the scene where, uh, or he's uh, presumably there, when Peter is brought out of prison and shows up at his mother's house. And obviously he grew up in a house then that was large enough at least for a prayer meeting. And, uh, and we read of, of John Mark uh, and his mother. Later in Acts 15, uh, you might remember that there was a squabble, a, a disagreement between Paul and Barnabas uh, in Acts 15, verse 36, on their missionary journey or deciding what they would do next. And this is what we read in Acts 15:36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. In Colossians 4.10, we find out that Barnabas is the cousin of Mark. Verse 38, But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers uh, to the grace of the Lord. And so, uh, Mark's mother hosted that prayer meeting where Peter's rescued by the angel. And here's Mark being the subject of uh, a little bit of a disagreement between Paul and, and Barnabas. And uh, we find out that, that Mark had not gone with them to the work. So something Mark had done um, was displeasing and, um, and, and, and led Paul to say, no, we shouldn't take this man along. Barnabas' cousin says, no, we, we need to give him another chance. Barnabas, you remember uh, the name Barnabas means son of, uh, son of encouragement. But then later in 2 Timothy 4, we're thinking, well, wait a minute, what happens here with, uh, with Mark uh, and Paul? In 2 Timothy 4, verse 11, we find out that things must have turned out okay because at the end of Paul's letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, verse 11, uh, we read these words. Luke alone, says Paul, is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me. Uh, for for ministry. 
So Mark himself, what do we know? Well, the Bible only tells us he's probably a native of Jerusalem. His mother owned a house large enough for a prayer meeting. Uh, but we do know that he had these, this, this extended contact with, with Paul and with, and with Peter. We know that he um, uh, somehow uh, disappointed Paul. Somehow he failed Paul, the apostle, so that Paul didn't want to take him along on that missionary journey. But Barnabas, as his cousin, comes alongside him to encourage him and says, no, let's, I can, I'll, take, I'll take Mark. And, uh, and then later we find out Paul calls him my fellow worker. First Peter uh, 5, 12 to 13, Peter refers to uh, my son Mark. And so this man who we believe wrote this gospel for us, delivered it uh, to us, uh, knew the Apostle Paul, knew the Apostle Peter, uh, knew Barnabas. He wasn't an apostle, but we could say that he, uh, he swam uh, in apostolic waters. We know that he failed. Uh, he failed the apostle, but we also know that somehow that was all restored, and we know that he was spoken of as a fellow, uh, a fellow worker and Peter's son in the faith. This is the this is the Mark who brings us uh, this uh, this gospel. Second thing uh, we find out uh, in this uh, gospel of Mark is that to hear this gospel aright, we really need to uh, to go back uh, to. The beginning. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We need to go back. We need to go back, for instance, in in time. We need to go back, if we could, in our mind and in our heart, to the days when Jesus uh, was as recently alive as someone from the 90s. You know, Mark is believed was written somewhere in the mid-first century. So Jesus would have ascended maybe 20, 30 years before Mark writes uh, this book. So Jesus alive and well on the earth was, was like us remembering the 90s. You know, like the X-Files. Remember that? Beverly Hills 90210, Law and Order, Michael Jackson, uh, Prince, Elton John, Bear in the Big Blue House, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, and the first Rescue Heroes. Oh, I love Rescue Heroes. Uh, but that's how recent... Uh, Mark is writing after the life on earth of Jesus. It's just happened. Mark helps us put ourselves back in time because this account, uh, while being the shortest of the four gospel accounts, uh, is also a book that, that, uh, that moves quickly. Why would we say that? Well, it's been called the, it's been called the action gospel. You have 16 chapters in the, in the book of Mark. 16 chapters and 35 times Best as I can count, the word uh, immediately is found. You have 16 chapters, at least twice a chapter, you'll find John saying immediately. Or in a, another translation, straightway. And uh, as you read through the Gospel of Mark, you get this sense of there's an urgency. There's a, uh, a pushing toward a climax. And you may have noticed when you look at the Gospel of Mark, though the book starts with Jesus, a grown man, you're halfway through the book of Mark and you're already at the the last week of his life. Most of the Gospel of Mark, or not most, but a good portion, almost half, is taken up with the last week of Jesus' life on earth before his death, uh, and including his death and resurrection. Most Bible scholars believe Mark was written first of the Gospels, followed by Matthew and Luke and John, but there's a discussion about that. Uh, you may have heard the term the Synoptic Gospels, uh, referring to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. 
synoptic simply means uh, seeing together or viewing together. Because when you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you say, well, this sounds familiar. I read that in this gospel. And you'll find that. You'll find very similar stories, as you know. But each of them with different emphases to a certain extent. And each of these gospels, Mark included, starts differently. Uh, Matthew uh, goes, uh, takes Je- Jesus' genealogy back to, to Abraham. Jesus is the son of David. He's the son of Abraham. He is the, the promised uh, coming Messiah. In, uh, in the Gospel of Luke, uh, you'll find Luke begin his Gospel with a, a great concern to say, I, you know, everything you're going to read here is, is, uh, is historically accurate. I've gone out of my way, uh, Theophilus, to, to tell you exactly what happened in the life uh, of Jesus. And when he traces Jesus' genealogy, he'll go, back, he'll go back all the way to Adam. Jesus, the son of Adam. And then, of course, you know, in the Gospel of John, John goes further back than all and, and starts with, in the beginning... Uh, was the Word all the way back into into uh, eternity. And then we'll tell the story of Jesus. And what about Mark? Well, there's no account of Jesus' birth at all. He starts simply by proclaiming that this book, this book is about the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You know the word gospel, awangelion, means good message. This book is going to be about the good message, the good news about a person. And that person is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Three names, first sentence. Jesus, mm-hmm. given that name at the instruction of the angel of the Lord. You'll remember in Matthew chapter 1, when he took on human flesh, He will save his people from their sins. Jesus. Christ, uh, Messiah, anointed one. He will be uh, the final and the greatest prophet. He will be the final and greatest priest. And he will be the final and the greatest king. He is the anointed one. And he is the, Mark says, son of God. He is the divine, eternal son of God. Come in the flesh. This is what this, John says, or Mark says, is all about. Now, this is really important in this first verse, of course. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, the Son of God. And we know that uh, uh, in, the, uh, in the gospels that this whole matter of the Son of God, this is what it's all about because uh, this is what will drive people uh, to kill Jesus. John 5.18 says this, This was why the Jews... We're seeking all the more to kill him. Why? Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath in their minds, but he was even calling God his own father. That is the son of God making himself equal with God. So that when you read son of God here in the context of the gospel, the Jews got it right. That means Jesus is claiming God is His Father making Himself equal with God. That's what this book's about, says John or Mark. So Mark wants us to understand. It's important, isn't it? Mark wants us to understand the Gospel is focused uh, on a person. And His name is, is Jesus. He's the one longed for of old as the Messiah. He's the divine Son come in the flesh. The Gospel is about a person, Jesus. 
Now, now, now it's important because sometimes we can miss this. Now, the, the gospel is not, the gospel is not, according to Mark here, a doctrine about Jesus. The gospel is Jesus. Uh, the gospel uh, is not about values vaguely related to Jesus. The gospel is not about good manners. It's not about being a good citizen or a moral person. It's not a gospel or good news about a theory. Mark says the good news of Jesus, which simply means uh, he must be at the center, the center of this story, and he must be at the center of, of your story and my story as well. Now, one of the ways that we can think about this as we read through the Gospel of Mark together, uh, Leland Riken uh, is a former English professor at uh, Wheaton, uh, Wheaton College. Uh, his brother was, uh, or is, Phil Riken, who you would have heard of. Uh, Leland Riken uh, is the professor of English, so he studied different types of literature. And, and he says this about, um, about the Gospel of Mark. With Mark's strong concentration on action, remember, immediately, straightway, uh, that is, the narrative of what Jesus did, he says it's even easier to read his gospel as a hero story than is true of the other three gospels. The hero of a hero story performs heroic actions. It's as simple as that. And Mark, he says, does a masterful job of showing Jesus as someone who did heroic deeds. The Jesus of Mark's gospel is a man of action. And that's what we want in a hero story. The interpretive rule, says Riken, for assimilating a hero story is also simple. View yourself as the traveling companion of the hero. Seeing and hearing what a companion of Jesus would have seen and heard. Everything in the book, he says, radiates outward from Jesus, so we can't go wrong if we keep our focus on what a given passage tells us about the hero of the story. We've got to go back to the beginning in traveling with Jesus. Why is this important? Well, because we've all heard many things about Jesus. Who He is, what He loves, what He likes, what He's done. Some things we've maybe heard about Jesus with, and we accept them without thinking. Of some things we've heard about Jesus, maybe we're skeptical. Some we believe because our parents told us, you need to believe this. Uh, or the church has told us you need to believe this. Some of the things we believe about Jesus are rock solid. And other things we might believe about Jesus may not be true. So what do we do? Well, we gotta go back, we gotta go back to the beginning of the gospel and travel with Jesus, eyes and ears and heart open. Uh, he is the hero of the story. And with any hero story, there's much action. And there's going to be much conflict and controversy and opposition, uh, as well as many followers and those who are rescued and saved by Jesus. So we're meant to go back to the beginning, travel along with Jesus and see him, see him for who he really is. Now, what are we going to see as we go back to the beginning, traveling along with with Jesus. This, says Mark, is what you are going to see. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, was Mark 
just concerned with a very interesting person whom it would be good to know? No. Was he concerned to satisfy people's curiosity about a fascinating and great man? No. Was he just uh, looking to uh, set before us a good example, uh, like the ancient Greeks and Romans did, just to set before us a good example, and if we follow this example, we can be like Jesus too? No. Yes, he's fully man. In fact, as, uh, as uh, J.A. Alexander, uh, 19th century Princeton theologian, wrote this in 1858, he said something like, it's in the Gospel of Mark, uh, as opposed to the other Gospels, it's in the Gospel of Mark that we find the most, um, the most looks and gestures of Jesus. And uh, you look for that as we go through the Gospel. He was saying that it's in the Gospel that we find where Jesus stares at someone, or, or if Jesus, uh, uh, you know, just the humanity of, yes, We'll see that in this, in this gospel. But that's not all we will see. Wrote William Hendrickson, The one whom Mark describes reigns supreme in the realm of disease and demons and death. As such, he heals diseases of every variety, casts out demons, cures the blind, the deaf, cleanses the leper, raises the dead. He exercises power over the domain of nature in general. He stills winds and waves, walks on water, causes a fig tree to wither, multiplies a few rolls so that they suffice to satisfy the hunger of thousands. His knowledge of the future is so detailed and comprehensive that he predicts what will happen to Jerusalem, to the world, to his disciples, and to himself. He knows what's in men's hearts, knows their circumstances. His authority is so outstanding that he pronounces pardon in a manner befitting God and no one else. And the climax of his majesty is revealed in this, that when he's put to death, he rises, he rises again. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, said J.C. Ryle, there's a beautiful fitness in placing this truth in the very beginning of a gospel. The divinity of Christ is the, uh, the citadel and the keep of Christianity. You know what the keep is? It's where everybody goes when there is trouble. Said Ryle, let believers cling to this doctrine with jealous watchfulness. With it, they stand upon a rock. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, they stand upon a rock. Without it, they have nothing solid beneath their feet. Our hearts are weak. Our sins are many, said Ryle. We need a Redeemer who is able to save to the uttermost and deliver from the wrath to come. We have such a Redeemer in Jesus Christ. He is, as Isaiah says, the mighty, the mighty God. So, in the midst of Jesus demonstrating miraculous power, in Mark chapter 3, verse 11, we'll read this. And whenever the unclean spirits saw Him, whenever the unclean spirits saw Him, Whenever they saw Jesus, you know what happened? Uh, whenever the unclean spirits saw Him, they fell down before Him and cried out, You are the Son of God. Mark 3.11. Mark 5.7. Uh, we will read this uh, after Jesus heals a man with a, with a demon. Mark 5.7 says, And crying out with a loud voice, He said, What have you to do with Me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. He is the Son 
of God. Midway through the gospel, Jesus turns to his disciples and says, who do the crowds say I am? Then he turns to the disciples themselves and says, "Uh, who do you say I am? Later in the gospel, uh, when uh, near the end of the book, Jesus um, or Jesus is interviewed by by Pilate and Pilate uh, asks Jesus, are you this son? And then, of course, when Jesus is crucified in Mark 15, 39, utters a loud cry and breathes his last. Uh, this is what we will read from a uh, from a centurion. You remember what this man says? When Jesus dies and breathes his last, when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God, the son of God. This is the friends, the beginning of the gospel, the good message, the good news of of Jesus Christ. The Son of God, His coming was promised. He has come. And so Mark invites us. He says, come and see. Come and see who He was, who He is, what He has done. We want to get the Gospel. We want to get the Gospel right. And so to get the Gospel right, we need to travel with Mark. R.C. Sproul said this, The great misconception in our day is this, that God isn't concerned to protect His own integrity. He's a kind of wishy-washy deity who just waves a wand of forgiveness over everybody. No. For God to forgive you, me, is a very costly matter. It cost the sacrifice of His own Son. The Son of God. Of God. Said Sproul, so valuable was that sacrifice that God pronounced it valuable by raising him from the dead so that Christ died for us. He was raised for our justification. So the gospel is something objective. It's the message of who Jesus is and what he did. And it also has a subjective dimension, said Sproul. How are the benefits of Jesus? So how is who he is and what he has done? How does that have, how can, how can that be mine? The Bible makes it clear, said Sproul, that we're justified not by our works, not by our efforts, not by our deeds, but by faith and by faith alone. The only way we can receive the benefit of Christ's life and death is by putting our trust in Him and in Him alone, you see. It's the beginning of the the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This, friends, is not simply a biography of Jesus' life. This is a proclamation of who He is. Fully man, fully God. And it's only through faith in this Jesus that we might stand just before God, forgiven of all our sin, adopted into His family, and, uh, and enjoy, our, enjoy our, our pilgrimage into eternity. So let's, let's go back to the beginning. 2,000 years ago, and see uh, Jesus again. Or, perhaps, for the first time. With eyes of faith, hearts of faith, uh, eyes open, hearts open, so that we may, as John put it, that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, 
And that by believing, the Bible says, we may have life in His name. May it be so as we journey together. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we're so thankful. Your grace and mercy to us. You didn't have to give us uh, this word. You didn't have to give us uh, these uh, four accounts of the good message of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Thank you for the Gospel uh, according to Mark. Lord, we pray that as we journey through it in our times together, O Lord, we pray that You indeed would give us eyes and hearts of faith, that we would truly again, or for the first time, see Jesus in all His glory, in all His love, in all His mercy, in all His power, uh, in all His majesty, in all His sacrifice, and in all His victory, that we too, that through believing in Him, might have life. In His name. May it be so, dear God, for Your everlasting glory and for our eternal good. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.